Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Okay, so I cannot believe I'm actually sitting here with the Pastor John Gunn. <laughs> the reason why I say that, uh, Pastor John Gunn, is the fact that I heard you speak at our church one day, and I was in tears. I was so moved to action that I knew I needed to be a part of your mission project, and I cannot wait for everyone to hear who you are and why I have you on the podcast. Okay, he is the founder, yep, you heard it right, the founder and the executive director of PCKC, which stands for Power Company Kids Club. I'm going to find out why you named it that here in a moment. And that has been since 1993 in Pontiac, Michigan. And then he opened up a campus in 2015 in Detroit, Michigan. And by the way, the website, if you want to look it up right now, is the pckc.org. You have to check it out. I'm going to share with you here in a moment their mission and their vision, uh, but it uh, serves uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And so Pastor John Gunn has served as lead pastor of two churches in the past, and then he felt compelled. So I want to talk about that, where that compelling came from to reach the children in America. And you know, uh, John, we actually do a lot of fundraising at our palmetto schools. Uh, we've m- millions of dollars that we've raised for different charities, and many of them are right here in the United States, and, and we love that, and we've talked about that. Yeah, you could get on a plane and do missions, which I do a lot. I do all the time. I love it, uh, but right here in America, so I want to talk about that. And, uh, and you also travel on Sunday, speaking in churches in America, sharing your heart for uh, uh, rescue at children risk of the nation cities, of course, which we talked about in Detroit and Pontiac. And, uh, and I want to find out why you chose those two cities, of course, as well. And we know that I know about the cities, but um, many of our listeners don't know about these cities. So I want to share with you guys the mission. So this is really important because I work with nonprofits. I'm actually coaching a nonprofit right now that, John, this is, you'll find this very interesting uh, because the founder is no longer involved with this nonprofit, right? And so it's kind of executive directors years later that have been kind of like twice or three times removed, right? And I noticed their story is starting to get a little bit washed out. And so I'm trying to get back to their mission and vision. And just like most businesses that I coach, they forget or they don't even know their mission or vision and they don't um, really focus on it. They forget about it, just kind of gathering dust or sitting on a website. So here's their mission. The Power Company Kids Club promotes the emotional, physical, spiritual, and social well-being of at-risk children and adolescents in our inner cities through mentoring weekly programs, partnerships with parents, churches, schools, civic leaders, and community organizations. And their vision is to bring the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to children and their families in our nation's inner cities and to raise up spiritual leaders who will in turn win future generations to Christ. Okay, you got to tell me the story where it all came about and why you did all of this. Where did this all come from? 
Um, well, gosh, I was born in Brightmoor, which is a, a sector of West Detroit, Northwest Detroit. Um, I come from a long line of alcoholics and uh, as a result of that poverty and criminal activity. And um, so poor people called us poor. You know, I mean, that's, uh, we, we, were, we were impoverished as a result of uh, the alcohol. And um, it would be almost, well, be about a hundred years ago now, a little over, that a, a man from the Salvation Army was out knocking on doors and knocked on my grandmother's door. I never met her. She died when she was 47. My dad was sleeping in a car. He was 17, somewhere in the city. And, um, but he knocked on her door. She had seven children, four boys and three girls, and they um, just were lost. And so this man shared Christ with her. And she gave her heart to the Lord and then looked for a church. And uh, the Salvation Army was too far to walk. She made her way down to a little white church on the corner of Finkel and Lamphere in, in Detroit, known as Brightmoor Tabernacle at the time. And uh, that's where she really grew in, in the Lord and the knowledge of the word, would drag my dad when she could. They were out running the streets most all the time, pretty much on their own since they were just young kids. They were put away in the system, uh, taken out of the home time and again as a result of uh, criminal activity and um, uh, I came along and, uh, you know, in that environment was, uh, I was before a judge, you know, three times before I was 12 years old. And um, my life was obviously heading in the right, wrong direction, the same direction my family's gone for years. Uh, Lord rescued me, wonderfully saved me. Um, and uh, I was able to go back to high school. I graduated high school, first male in my family to ever graduate high school, went to Bible college, night school, and um, felt a real call to ministry. That, this is kind of the Reader's Digest version of it, but I uh, planted a church. I was 19 years old, planted a church up in the middle of the thumb known in a community known as Marlette. Mm-hmm. Spent 10 years of my life there, wonderful years of faith and growth and development. Um, came to pastor a church in Waterford, Michigan. When I left the church up in, in Marlette, because I'm a city guy, you know, I, I, I didn't know a thing about, where I was up there was dairy farmers, crop farmers. I thought you milked a cow by pumping its tail. I mean, I didn't know a thing about the country. So I asked the Lord to place me in a, in a environment, a metropolitan area where I could never run out of people and we could grow. I'm a guy that likes to put down roots and stay and watch and, and work with people over time. But I said, Lord, not Pontiac or Flint. I just had no desire to go near either of those two cities. They were not on my radar. So the Lord planted me in Waterford for almost 15 years, right next door to Pontiac. And over that period of time, Pontiac was in real trouble in the early 90s. Crime was at an all-time high. Homicides were out of control. A lot of gang warfare over drug turf from gangs in Flint as well as Detroit trying to take over the streets. I just, I just had a growing burden for that city. God just put that in my heart. And um, I challenged our church family to pray. And so we took an entire year and prayed that God would give us a key, a means of really making a difference in the city next door. We were three lights west of Telegraph. I mean, we were 
bumping right up against Conrad. And uh, through a series of events that weren't of our choosing or even planning, a gentleman from Pontiac had given his heart to the Lord. He had been an alcoholic. And he started bringing kids in the back of his pickup to Sunday school. And we said, you know, Norm, you can't, can't bring, you know, so we gave him a van. He filled the van and his pickup. So we ended up buying a bus, called it Old Red, Old Red Bus. And uh, he started filling it up. It just became clear to us that if we could somehow reach the children, the upcoming generations, we could have a real shot at changing the face of and the trajectory of that city. And so uh, after that time of prayer, we uh, went ahead and launched as a ministry outreach of the church, the Power Company Kids Club. We started in the old YMCA in downtown Pontiac and University, 21 kids was our opening day and, um, and we just started going at it. One of the things we developed early was this weekly visitation. We visited every child that came to our program every single week in their home. And so more kids obviously started to come. It was not only a fun place to be, but uh, we'd feed them and uh, you know, kids look forward to just coming out of their environment, being in a clean, bright, you know, safe place where they had a lot of fun, they were fed, and of course we preached the gospel and shared Christ with them every single week. And uh, so routes began to form and people began to get on board and uh, we went from that one route to 14 bus routes. Um, four years into it, I knew this is what I had to do. This, I knew this was what God was calling me to do. So I resigned the church and uh, Power Company Kids Club became a Michigan nonprofit corporation, a 501c3 separate entity. And um, my wife and I sold our home in Clarkston and moved into the city and uh, just mm. poured our lives into it. That was in 1997. Um, now today, after these years have come and gone, and you know, you mentioned we work with kids that's just our Saturday program that's K through five. We work with them right on up into college. Wow. So once they come out of the Saturday program, then they come into our Friday night program, which is our, our middle and high school programs for them. And, uh, you know, down through the years, we've developed after school tutoring programs, mentoring programs. We're still visiting the children. Pre-COVID, we were in the homes of more than 1,600 children every single week visiting them and their families. So that we're touching the lives of about 6,000 people a week. Uh, that's that's wow. caregivers, siblings, grandmas, uh, guardians, uh, you know, relatives, neighbors. I mean, we're there every single week, this team that does this weekly visitation, building these relationships, lifelong relationships with the children and their families that, you know, uh, allow us to really become a friend and a family member and earn the right to really talk to them about the Lord. And, you know, we pray with our families on a weekly basis. During the pandemic, we have delivered semi-loads of food to our most needy families. We know because of our weekly visitation who really needs it, who really, you know, can use the help. And uh, so that, that's been a huge part of what we've done during the COVID time is continue that weekly visit, continue to help our families economically and, and certainly, um, you know, as it relates to groceries and food and so forth. Uh, over these years, 
the young people have come through, given their lives to Christ. Many of them have won their whole families to the Lord, and they're now leading the ministry. I mean, they're here serving and giving mm. back. Uh, numbers of them as volunteers. Our staff is comprised of the young men and women that grew up in the program. They're now full time with us. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. I mean, we, we do summer day camps. We, we do eight to 10 city parks every single summer for six weeks. We'll go in and run the program right in the park, feed every child that comes, every family member that comes. And, um, and then during the school year, we bust them into our centers where, you know, Saturday and Friday night, as well as after school programming. So it's a year round ongoing discipleship, mentorship, of our children. Now we work diligently with the Bible believing churches in our community mm. to connect our families to these churches. We're not a church. We're not affiliated with any particular church. We're supported by churches as well as businesses and individuals from all over the US. In fact, the world, uh, you know, many missionaries I've supported as uh, when I was pastoring now are supporting us, you know, uh, on an individual basis, which is so encouraging, but uh, that's kind of what we do. Yeah. That's, our goal is to really equip these children to become viable, life-giving contributors to the world in which we live and to make a difference. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is so beautiful. I think I'm actually going to call this be a missionary. And the reason why I call that, because you kind of talked about, you're like, God, not Pontiac, please not Pontiac. And then all of a sudden now you're like living in Pontiac. And so I think that's hilarious, but I want, I want to go back to that because my definition of leadership has been and, and, and will be forever is transformed people, transform people. Yeah. And I believe whatever we've gone through, uh, God had us go through it so that we could help people. And, and, but most of the time, people just become victims of their circumstances. And they don't think about like, look at the families that are serving now, the transformed yeah. people are transforming people because their life was transformed. Right. And right. so I just love that. So when when and how? So talk to that person that what that they know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Like how did how did that happen for you? And and for me because I've been in in the salon uh, school business for 20 plus years, right? <laughs> and I was in dentistry, so I was kind of like you. I kind of hung on to that job for five years before I let go of it, and then full fledged jumped into cosmetology. But I was just like you. My husband said I'm going to buy a cosmetology school, and I'm like, no, no, you're not. Like. No, anything but that. Like, I'm not going to be involved in that, you know? And so he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, I feel like this is going to be a ministry for you. And the moment in time for me that switched, that I knew that it was a ministry and it was a mission for me was when a, a young lady came into my office that had tried to commit suicide the night before one of my students. And I was able to help her and she's still alive today. Mm. She was that moment in time was, this is your mission. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what I, I put you on life to do, right? And so, but what, what he didn't, what she didn't know and what people didn't know because I didn't tell anybody was when I was 16 years old, I had wrote a suicide note to my family mm -hmm. and I, I just was too ashamed and of myself that I never told anyone this story, but it started to come out and I was able to really, really start to help people that really struggled with mental illness through that process. And so kind of talking through that for you, you know, 
you obviously, you know, I love when you said poor people called us poor, you know, although we laugh about it now, but I'm sure you weren't laughing back then. You probably didn't know any different, but no. what did you know, like, what was that moment in time for you? Well, I pastored, um, an all white upper middle class congregation. And, you know, we were a very strong missions church. We did a lot of church planting overseas and a lot of crusades overseas, uh, supported numbers of missionaries overseas. And, uh, and this, when we, when we shared this with the church family after praying for a year, everybody seemed very excited about it. And it was, you know, a novel case, you know, and uh, after the first year, people began to realize how much work it was. After the second year, you know, people were a little concerned because families were coming to church and the teenagers were coming to our youth group. And um, they didn't look like the children that attended our church. Um, and uh, it, it became... It, it, God created an uncomfortable situation. Um, not everybody after three or four years was as excited uh, about it. Um, you know, comments uh, that boy better not date my daughter. I don't know that I want my kids in the youth group with those kids, you know, and um, it became very controversial. It became clear to me that if we were just to continue on, that um, it would bring uh, major discord into the congregation. And also, some of our families that were now beginning to attend our church on Sundays, not just belong or become a part of the Saturday program that we had started in the city, um, were uncomfortable. And that, that deeply troubled me. Uh, I could relate far more to the background of those that we were ministering to than in, in terms of, of in the city than I could even the church family I was pastoring, if that made sense. Because I had been there, you know. I, I, I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be without. And um, I know what it's like to have addiction around you. So, so at any rate, it just became clear to me that the two needed to separate and uh, that this would be what I would give my life to. And that's really how it came about. And uh, when, when the church was approached, um, uh, the church is a part of a fellowship known as the Assemblies of God. So we have hierarchy. We brought in our district superintendent. I didn't attend any of the meetings and he just shared uh, the fact that I was willing to step down and to lead this ministry as a separate entity in the city of Pontiac. Uh, I believed we needed to be in Pontiac. We needed to be there and live among the people we loved and served and to uh, let it be a ministry within the community, within the city. So uh, over a period of time, several meetings, a vote was taken by the membership and it was 100%. And uh, the reason that was, was because 
those that loved the ministry and wanted to see it go forward voted for that. And those that wanted to see it out of the building and out of their hair, they voted for that. And so that's how it went down. So it was, it was good. hundred percent. We were good. So 1997, we, you know, uh, founded the power company kids club as a separate entity. And we just have gone on the church, you know, had another pastor come in, they're doing well and I'm glad for them. That's great. But yeah. we, that that's really the transitional time, how that occurred. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Okay. This is so beautiful because I'm thinking of the person right now that's listening to this thinking, okay, I want a ministry. And, and how would they know if that ministry was their business or working for the business that they're in versus I've had a lot of team members say, I want to open a nonprofit, right? So how do they know if it should be a for-profit, working for-profit, or a nonprofit? Like what, what, is, what advice would you give someone based on what you've been through over the years? Well, I, I feel that um, in order to gain the kind of financial support that's needed, and that's, unless, unless you're a, a very successful business person and can fund out of your income, out of your business, an entire ministry. Yeah. Uh, you know, our budget's a million and a half a year. And, wow. um, you know, so someone would have to have the kind of a business that they could just dump a hundred and a million and a half into this to make it go. The other issue with that is that it deprives so many other people of the blessing of having a part and being a part and feeling a part. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I didn't have that kind of money. So, I mean, the nonprofit allows us to raise funds and the, the money that we raise comes from sources all over the country and even out of the country. I mean, I have dear elderly women that will, will write a note with their little donation uh, every month, you know, praying for you thanking God for you, keep up the good work, as well as those that will write the larger checks. And um, they're all valuable to me. They're all valuable to God. And they have a part in it. So every life that we see transformed, every life that is changed, every family that God rescues and brings to himself, they have a part in it, a very real part. And um, I guess that's the wonder of heaven, that someday, you know, people will approach them from all over, you know, and, and thank them yeah. for, for giving and for and believing that they could give them a chance. So I, I really believe a nonprofit gives the opportunity for many, many, many more people to be involved and have a part in what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing better than being able to give and it just, it just changes you when you, when you give back. And that's why we train our students that part of the curriculum is, uh, how to give back and why generosity is the highest form of living. And so finding that mission to be able to give to. And it, when you spoke to us, I'm like, I want to be a part of this. It, why do you call it? Let's go back to why do you call it Power Company Kids Club? Where'd that come from? <laughs> well, it's interesting. One of the um, gentlemen that, uh, sir, you know, was a member of the church, worked at Consumers Power. And um, I don't know, he just, he, came up with this uh, early logo uh, with a light bulb and lights all around it. And he wanted to call it the Power Company Kids Club. And then we attached actually from Romans 116, which is on all of our shirts. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So uh, I think through those two 
uh, influences. You know, we just call it the Power Company Kids Club. It was really funny in the early days when we'd just go out cans and knocking on doors. You know, we're such a, a part of the community now, everybody knows us, but this is happening in Detroit now. Uh, but we'd knock on doors and they'd say, who's there? We'd say the power company. And we, they'd say, we paid our bill. You know, so it was <laughs> hilarious at times. We'd get that all the time. And uh, I've been asked a lot about where that name came from. But really, that scripture is mm. the foundation of everything. We do, you know? yeah. It's the gospel of Jesus Good. Christ that transforms the lives of our children. Yeah. You know what I love about when you talk, like, you know, I, I'm training people to come up with an elevator speech, you know, like, what do you really do? And I feel like I would, we would have no problem with you talking in the elevator because you're so passionate about what you do and you own your foundation. And, and when I do train business owners, I'm like, what's your mission, vision, values? And they're like, huh? I'm yeah, like, exactly. well, let, me, let me find the handbook, you know? Right. And so I love that you said you, you, it's Romans 1 16. And that actually happened with me one night. God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, Tina, here is your mission, vision, and values. And he said, the way that you're going to be in the business of changing lives is by being the lights of the community, Matthew 5, 16. Right. And so I'm like, oh, yes, that's it. So lights, love, impact, generosity, humility, teamwork, and being self-aware. God actually downloaded those things to me, right? So your mission and your uh, vision that you have for this, how will you uh help it to sustain you and to live on like how will this be a part of your significance as you multiply leaders how many many business owners nonprofits they really struggle with this right it just it usually begins and ends with them so how what are you doing what are you putting in place for it to outlive you well we're in the process now of transition i mean i'll be 70 next year and uh wow you so would never are, know that yeah, well, thank you <laughs> Uh, that's what working with kids, kids will do for you. You know, they'll keep, they'll either kill you yeah. or keep you young, one or the other. So, yep. <laughs> uh, we're working on a transition, uh, right now. And, uh, you know, our plan is, you know, we have it mapped out and we have, uh, uh Aaron Robinson, who has been with us. He's been in ministry for more than 20 years. He has a master's degree from, uh, Moody. Uh, he's working on his doctorate. He came on with us as our spiritual life director four years ago and uh, just been doing a, a tremendous job of pastoring our staff, pastoring our people, pastoring our kids and our workers and team workers. So just to give you a little bit of a idea, we have a leadership development program that begins as young as fourth grade and children that become a part of that will become a team helper and graduate eventually into a team assistant and then into a team intern and eventually lead their own team, which means they'll have their own bus route and then be able to start that process themselves where they pick their own team helper from the kids that attend on their bus and um, as well as, uh, you know, working with them and mentoring them through the process. So that's really what I hope to leave behind is that ongoing process of developing, uh, re replicating ourselves, you know, just replicating ourselves. And um, we're very intentional about that. And that's why we start with them as young as we do, because 
you know, by the time that child uh, is in their middle school and even their high school, many of our young people took over an entire route of their own in their junior or senior year of high school. And um, a route that they were brought up on, a route that they started attending. And now they're actually doing all the visitation and they have a relationship with the families because they've been there since they were in fourth grade. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, so all of our teams are led by people who are there long-term. You know, we don't have the, and these are volunteers, volunteers. So they're giving back and they give about 15 to 16 hours of their life a week wow. to attending our staff meetings weekly, doing their visitation, working with the young people on Friday and then serving all day Saturday uh, in the ministry there. So, I mean, it's a huge commitment for people that work jobs, have families, uh, in college, whatever the case may be. But that's, that's our whole mantra is to replicate ourselves, to continue to see that happening so that we're not going to run out of children until the world ends. You know, I mean, yeah. more and more children are going to continue to come into the world. So they're going to need Jesus and they're going to need the truth. And that's, that's what we work very hard. Incredible. Oh my gosh. So you really hit home on something that that I really think business leaders need to understand. And, and, you know, when I do coach businesses, most of them do not have a leadership development program. And so that's so cool that you do that. Cause I actually train businesses, especially salons to develop their own leadership development program. Most, most business owners are so busy working in their business that they don't even think about developing systems. Right. right. And they don't even think about doing this and multiplying themselves. In fact, they're just so busy doing the work 80, hours a week, you right. know, try, just trying to make ends meet. And so how have you been able to do that? And because it's so beautiful that you raised people from within your company to be able to take over. I, I, I am not for uh, bringing somebody from the outside in because now they have to develop that influence. And, and this person that you just talked about, Aaron, uh, basically already established themselves and had built influence with the team. And so to, for them to step in, that transition will be so much easier. When I coach salon uh, owners, many times they'll look at me and say, I don't have anybody on my team that can right. take over. And I said, I bet you do. I bet if you started to develop a leadership development program, you would start to have uh, people start stepping up into that, right? So how did you develop that? And how do you develop yourself as a leader? How do you lead yourself? Well, I... I do a lot. Of, I'd like to go back for just a moment to Aaron Robinson. I in, in talking about leadership, he has uh, as of the beginning of this year, he was promoted to our COO. So he's our chief wow. officer at this point. Amazing. And um, just doing a tremendous job and leading our teams and both of our campuses, uh, just outstanding. So he is a Pontiac native as well, born and raised here. And so you know, yeah. and he's known him since gosh, uh, twenty plus years doing great work. Uh, I'm a reader. I always have been. I, I read a lot. And um, I think that leaders have to be readers. And it's funny, someone said readers are leaders, you know, and um, yeah. so I, I don't know which comes first, the, the chicken or the egg, but I, you know, it read. So I did as a kid without the Lord and in trouble. One of the things that they did back in the day uh, when I was a kid, is they literally taught us to read. You know, we have children now that are graduating out of schools have never read a book. And they're graduating, you know, with a 
plus average, the GPA, and they haven't even read a book from lid to lid. So he taught us to read. I would escape by reading as a kid, even in school. Mm-hmm. So I, I was a reader young, and I, um, I, I really feel that, you know, participating in leadership podcasts, participating in leadership development, um, and reading is what, you know, continues to keep somebody sharp and, and active. Yeah, so true. And we call that the law of the lid. You always have to stay a a few steps ahead of your people, right? And I've always said, grow or go. Because if you're not, I always tell my staff, listen, when I stop growing, like, fire me, you know? (laughs) When I stop growing and I, and I don't see more, more before, right? I always say that. And uh, so you hit on some really, really great points that I want to just touch briefly. And then I want you to tell me some of your favorite stories of transformations that's happened within your nonprofit. But uh, in order to be a missionary in your business, right, or mm-hmm. in your nonprofit, your for-profit or nonprofit, and by the way, nonprofits are for-profit, because if they didn't make any money, they wouldn't be able to exist. Yeah. So well, they need to make some money too, right? Uh, but the first one that I love that you said from the very beginning and you will, everybody gets this right. And I know I did. Cause I remember the stabs that I had from the people in dentistry. Like, why are you going into this industry, into the cosmetology industry? Like, what are you doing? You know, people would be like, why are you leaving dentistry? And my old boss, we just met up with him recently. And he said, man, it is just amazing that you did this. Like, look at how far you've come. Did you ever think that you would, you know, own seven businesses and now a coaching business? I'm like, no, not at all. Like I just went into it just to save people's lives. You know, at that point, when I went into this business and just like you, right, you embrace the discomfort, the attacks, give some advice right now. How can people embrace that discomfort, the attacks from people on the outside as they move towards God's purpose for them? Because you will have that oh, attack yeah. from family yeah. and friends. I got the same thing. I mean, I, I, you know, I've served on boards. I've, you know, led ministries. I've, uh, you know, very, very involved in the kingdom in so many ways, uh, in addition to pastoring. And um, I got a lot of that. You know, what are you doing? You know, you're going to work with kids. I mean, it was just like that. You know, you're going to work with, you're going to leave a great church and go work with kids, seriously. And if someone would have told me, you know, 30 years ago, I'd be working with children. I mean, I never had worked with children in the way I am. And I've always loved kids, but I got that a lot. You know, what are you doing? You know, and and a lot of people thought we would just, you know, it would, we'd come and go. We'd get involved and we'd get, we'd be there a while and out of it. That's not who we were. But I think what you have to know in the depth of your heart is God's call. You have to know God's plan. And I don't care if that's business. You're Christian and you're serving God. You've got to know that this is God's path. This is what God is having you to do. And if you don't know that, then you'll be blown about by, you know, everybody's opinion and everything that comes across your path that's negative. You have to know bedrock that this is what God wants me to do. And I've known many people that have gone into a particular business believing that this is what God wanted them to do. And they're helping to fund the kingdom of God, like Power Company and others, because this was God's plan for them. You know, even one of the gifts that God's talked about is if it's if it's making money, then do it with humility and, and do it by giving. So I that's the, that's the key. You got to just know 
that God has called you and rest in that. When you're discouraged, when things don't go the way you think they should, when people are against you, that one thing will keep you centered on doing what God wants you to do with knowing. So good. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've always said that when you know your why, the how comes easy. Right. And so I just love, love that you said, no, like you have to know a deep inside your heart, you know, that this is what God has called me to do. And I think a lot of people just don't take the time to really listen to that voice, you know, to God's voice through that whole process. And it's just so important. I love that. And the second thing you said, is you're in the trenches. And I love that you said that because I've watched many times leaders in our companies that kind of aren't in the trenches, they're in their office all day. And they're not getting involved with changing people's lives. And the reason why I know that is because I did that. Like I got where I got really desensitized and I got angry and I got mad that people wouldn't listen to what I would have to say. And it, it took me stepping back and saying, Tina, why did you get in this? You got in this to change people's lives. Why are you mad at the people's right. lives that you're changing? Right? right. And so talk to that person right now. Why is it so important to be a hands-on leader, to stay involved with that? Why? Right. In order to be really successful. Well, you know, they said of Patton that his men would follow him to hell, you know, because Patton was always there. He was a part of it. He didn't send them out to battle. He led them out into battle. Yeah. And, and that's what made David the great leader he was. You know, when David got in trouble is when he let them go off on their own and stayed home. You know, that's, that's, when, that's when the disaster took place. And as long as men or women are out in the front of their team, you know, I've never asked anybody that serves with me to do anything that I don't do or haven't done. Um, that's just the reality of it. So, you know, when they see me crawling under a bus and hitting the starter with a hammer to, to, to move the brushes so I can start the thing, you know, in the dead of cold, or they see me uh, replacing a battery, or they see me taking a child out that's sick and, you know, cleaning up after them, they realize that I'm not asking them to do anything I haven't done or don't do. And I think leaders have to be out in the front. I have to, they have to lead by example. Um, you know, there's a, I learned long ago, there's a huge difference between a shepherd and a, and a, um, a cattle driver, uh, you know, a cowboy. Cowboys are behind the herd, you know, hollering at them, whipping them, trying to get them to move in the right direction. But a shepherd stays out in front of the sheep and leads them. Yeah. And that's what leaders have to do. They have to lead by their example. And you'll be surprised how, how many people are willing to follow a leader uh, when they see that leader doing what they're being asked to do or what they themselves do. That makes yeah. a huge difference. Huge, huge, yeah. Don't let it just be done. Let it be that you are doing at the same yeah. time. And so once in a while, and I love the, the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep because sometimes you got to go back and get that one sheep, you right. know? And so we had a situation recently where I was like, you know, the one thing I miss is coaching our future professionals. Right now, I just coach mainly our leaders. Well, just recently, I had the opportunity to coach a future professional. And it was just so 
awesome to be back in the trenches to do that. And I was able to kind of see both sides of the story where the team was getting frustrated with this person. And I could see um, my, we call them VIPs, right? Our VIP future professionals. I could see her side too. And so I think it took, you know, me being an outside coach to be on the inside end to understand because the truth always lies somewhere in between, right? So, but being in the trenches and being able to show, okay, this is how you coach. And then I love that you said that leaders are readers and you have to invest in yourself. And I invest so much in how to coach, right? Of, of great ways, how to coach teams. And, and one of the courses that we're doing as good leaders ask great questions right now that we're leading. It's called, it's a masterclass. And it's so awesome. It's a book by John C. Maxwell, because I'm a John Maxwell coach. Okay. And it's so awesome because it shifted my mindset of this is how you coach is with questions, leading with questions. So how important is questions for you as you lead your people and develop your people in this leadership development program and multiplying leaders? It's the best way for self-discovery. I mean, anybody can get up and tell people what to do, but that's from their perspective and what they think should be done. But when you ask questions, that puts the onus on the individual to think and to reason within themselves. And to it leads them to self-discovery. It leads them to discovering truths about themselves. Uh, it even, it, it can go to the point of really motive. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here? Uh, why is this important to me? Um, I think that leading by questions or through questions, leading a person to self-discovery and to discover who they really are, right. why they're doing what they're doing, um, how meaningful it is and how transforming it is to them individually is essential. You know, we live in a day where everybody's dispensing information. I mean, you can go on the internet and you can hear a lecture about anything, any subject, any topic. I mean, we're dispensing information. And so a lot of our younger people are being filled with information, mm. but it's, it's why it's taking them longer and longer and longer to move out of mom and dad's house, longer and longer to find a career, longer and longer because they don't know, they have all this information, but nobody's ever sat them down and asked them the poignant questions that help them discover who they are, what they are about, what you know they feel about a situation. So absolutely. It's interesting, my wife, uh, my wife uh, is, is a, uh, a coach. She's a, uh, a consultant for corporations around the country. And that's what she does. You know, she has her PhD in that. And is, um, uh, so, uh, you know, we have a lot of these kinds of conversations at home at, about what, you know, coaching people and how that works. And she's, uh, she loves what she does. And she's been a great help here with us too at Power Company, you know, in that regard. So uh, to hear you say that, yeah, you, you and her get along wonderfully. <laughs> No wonder why you've been so successful. It's been your wife. Now I know yeah, I need to interview go. her. Yeah. This is amazing because I'm sitting there thinking, man, I haven't heard of a nonprofit that has a leadership development program and you're just leading within and it's just so beautiful. And everyone needs to listen to this because every business, every church, every nonprofit needs to do what you're doing. This is just absolutely incredible. And I agree with you. Questions unlock potential and so let's talk about your favorite story 
of life transformation. Cause I know, you know, when you get to tell those stories, it's just like, man, this is why I do what I do. And I'm supposed to be doing this. So tell us one of your favorite stories. Oh, that's, you know, after almost 30 years, I mean, there's so many of them and they're all, they're all special and they're all wonderful. I mean, to see God transform the life of a child and then that child be used of God to bring their family in to the Lord. It just, it, it's all wonderful. I, I, I just would like to share, we have what we call our four pillars. Mm. It's kind of the four-legged stool, you know, and, and so this is what, this is our, um, uh, these are our values. You know, we're, we're spiritually focused. We're missionary minded, we're family oriented and intentionally reproductive. Those are the, that's the core of what we teach our young people and our team. And that's, you know, we keep that ever before us because, mm. uh, you know, they, they follow the other. If you're spiritually focused, then you're going to be missionary minded, you know, yeah. and if you're missionary minded, you're going to be family oriented and so forth. So, but yeah, the stories, my, I, um, you know, I got a, today, a young lady that was one of the first families to ever come to Power Company, uh, her and her family. She's now got her master's degree and, and she came from an impoverished, hard situation for kids. Uh, dad was an uh, alcoholic, mom used drugs. It was, uh, they were separated. It, it, it was a poverty situation. She, she uh, now has her own nonprofit here in Pontiac where she works with parents and helping them to be uh, parents and, and to you know, learn parenting skills and so forth. But this is just this morning, her post, and she tagged me on it. She, she says, uh, I woke up with tears in my eyes, mm. thinking about my childhood, not realizing how much me and my siblings have overcome. When me and my family needed love, support, and God more than anything, Pastor Gunn found us right on Augusta Street 28 years ago. Give me a minute. They started visiting us weekly just to check on us and pray for us. I truly thank him and the team. They were heaven sent. It's been more than 25 years since we met him, and I see myself walking right in their footsteps. Power Company is truly a perfect example of community outreach, meeting families where they are, just loving them no matter what. Thank you, thank you, thank you for showing me how important it is just to love and give back. What you've done for my family and so many others will never go unnoticed. Love you so much. That's it. That makes it worth it. All of it. Wow. Now you got me crying again. Now you can see why you have to have him speak at your church and talk about this because that's, you had left me in tears. I need to interview her next for this podcast. We need to talk about her nonprofit. I love that. And you're multiplying leaders. You're multiplying more nonprofits out there, you know, just by what you did, right? Transformed people, transform people. And just as you, as we close this out, like what's the last words of encouragement to people? Because so many people, John, it's, it's so sad to me. They're just not living out their purpose, their God-given purpose. So lead, lead them to the water, if you will, and, yeah. and end this out. You know, when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, I, I can tell you the truth, pastoring almost a quarter century and then doing this for the last quarter century, you, so much depression, so much institutionalization, so much medicine 
is the result of us focusing on ourselves all the time. Yeah. Our, our hurt, our wounds, our need, our situation. I encourage people when I go out to preach, don't get out of your church walls. I mean, thankfully you can serve in your church, but you need the community needs you. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing to be a Sunday school teacher. That's good. Our ch children need to hear the gospel. And if you can do that, but don't let that get out and serve, find a nonprofit, find a, find a, um, a soup kitchen, find a, uh, a pregnant uh, uh, women's ministry, find yeah. a shelter. So get out, help others, get, get out of yourself because people that serve others, people that give of themselves, people that are constantly enabling other people, forget about, we don't have time to think about ourselves. Yeah. That's not to say we never are depressed. That's not to say we never suffer disappointment, but, but our mission and our drive to help others, it's addictive. It's addictive. I cannot tell you, and our team knows this, those that have been with me, I have six of the original team still here working with me. We've buried four. One was my first wife. Actually, we've buried a fifth one just last year. And and two others are out in full-time ministry. One are missionaries in Africa doing what we're doing there. And um, and two are pastoring here in Michigan. But uh, the fact is, is that we've all had that that day in in a cold January when it's dark at 4.30 and we've worked all day and we're bone tired and we don't feel like going out and visiting our families and we don't feel like, you know, putting in the next three hours out in the dark and the cold to contact our families and, and ministering. But I'll tell you, once you get out there, that, that first or second or third home where that little four-year-old baby throws their arms around you, so glad to see you, and that kid brings his report card and shows it to you, and that mother begins to tell you, you know, because of what you're doing, I've come to know the Lord and I've quit drinking or I've quit. I mean, you're, you're ready to go for the rest of the night. I mean, it just, you, we all have those times we don't feel like it, but if we will just do it, if we'll get out of ourselves and do it, we'll be surprised how our depression flies away, how that our, our, our selfishness flies away, our, our constant focus on ourselves and our own needs will fly away. And it becomes addictive. It does. And it's, um, I'll tell you, I wouldn't give anything for those welcomes at that door of the kids that love me and I love them. Yeah, so beautiful. Wow, thank you so much. How can people get involved with this nonprofit? Because I know everyone listening to this is going to want to be a part of it. Well, look, look us up online at the PCKC, the PCKC.org. That's our website. You can learn more about us. You can, you know, dig through that website and uh, there, there's an opportunity for serving. There's volunteer opportunities. I mean, we need bus drivers. We need setup people. We feed our children every week. I mean, we're putting out, you know, thousands of meals to children who don't eat many of them on the weekend because the schools are closed. I mean, there's so much that can be done in so many ways you can come in to serve and help and be a blessing to children. It can be monthly, it can be weekly, it can be occasionally, but yeah. And then there's of course, you know, the finances, we need all the financial help we can get, especially during this pandemic time. I mean, it's been disastrous. Many nonprofits have gone under, churches have closed their doors. I mean, it's, it's uh, so yeah, there's opportunities to be involved every way from giving of your finances to giving of your time, to giving of your talent. It, Visit us at thepckc.org. Some of our stories and videos are there. You'll learn more. 
Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.